Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Hello and welcome to Headliner Radio. Today I'm chatting to producer, engineer and score mixer Jason LaRocca about his creative process and some of the exciting projects he's been up to recently. Jason, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Uh, I'm great, Colby. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's all good. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure. It's, uh, it's nice to be chatting to you today, man, from uh, across the pond, obviously. Um, yeah. Where are you joining us from? Uh, I'm here in my studio in Los Angeles, California. It's a little bit awesome. cloudy today. <laughs> a little bit cloudy. Well, that makes a change. Everyone, Rare. Rare. Every, everyone from, uh, from that part of the world that I've been speaking to recently is just like glorious sunshine every day. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not too bad here today in London, which, is, uh, which makes a nice change. Um, how have things been for you recently, man? Obviously, it's been, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a crazy time the last year or so yeah. for, uh, for, for a lot of people working on the music side. Um, but how, how have you been coping, Jason? Have you been, you know, finding enough projects to, to keep you busy and then sort of staying productive? Well, you know, before the pandemic, it was, it was, uh, things, things were really crazy. Things were really insane. And then when, yeah, about mid-March, I was actually working on a project when everything got sort of announced that it was shutting down and, and we were, we were actually just scrambling to get it done and had just finished it basically right when we officially had to close our studio doors. I, I'm I'm here in a commercial studio uh, where I mix. So um, okay. so we had to actually, you know, shut things down. And um, oh, okay. so, so it affected me, uh, you know, pretty seriously at first. Um, you know, we had, luckily I was able to get this project done. It was a movie and um, we had finished mixing it. And then, yeah, like a few days later, we, I, <laughs> I took all of my, my gear, my basic gear and brought it to the house and just set up in the living room. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was, that was, you know, a major polarity change. And, uh, but, you know, a lot of things, a lot of things had sort of either canceled or gone on hold. You know, I had a whole, I had a whole series of recording dates for a TV show lined up, you know, live recording dates with an orchestra and those all, those all canceled. And so that things at first were, were sort of grim and I didn't know, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what end was up really. I didn't know what to do, but luckily I was able to kind of put, together the home set up and keep things going that were there were a couple things that were ongoing that what is able to sort of do at home mm-hmm. and you know that that was somewhat temporary eventually I, I got back into the studio but it was such a it was just so crazy for that to happen especially when it happened when it happened I mean we were we were just gangbusters. There was so much going on. And then everything just went dead silent. You know, we had a couple of movies. We had a uh, bill and Ted was actually the next thing I was supposed to do. And, okay. and, and they, they put it on hiatus and, and we didn't know when we were going to come back. And so, and that happened with so many things. And I just thought, gosh, what is, what's going to happen here? <laughs> like, so, you know, it all slowly started making sense, I guess, you know, at some point, but yeah, it was definitely, you know, it was a weird adjustment. Yeah, sure. it must it must have been strange, man. Especially especially working on the like the movie side. You know, um, I suppose if you were doing more more music, um, 
you could kind of do things remotely but obviously I know you're working with big orchestras and a lot of organic instrumentation and that must have been a, a weird time trying to sort of adapt to to the workflow um when everything just went you know went to pot yeah I mean we're you know we're still adjusting to that I mean there's still uh course, yeah. you know there's still a lot of uh, you know, slowly moving back into normal as far as the actual recording. But yes, the the actual in-person stuff, the recording stuff, that all completely shut down. And, and luckily, we were able to do some mixing. And, and But things that had deadlines or releases or things like that, a lot of it just pushed indefinitely because, you know, people didn't want to release a film or a TV show exactly. or whatever yeah. when no one was going to see it or or anything like that. So... You know, there were I had you know I had I had did have an album project that I was doing. So there there were things that, like you said, things that were just kind of music things that that didn't have you know uh, didn't have to be done in person and that sort of thing that we were able to do. But one of the things that um, really kind of came into play that really turned things around for me was using audio movers and like how we're using Zoom, but the combination of the two together was how I started doing all of my mix reviews. And um, it, it just started, you know, really working out great. I and mean, it was, you know, young software, I think, at the time of last year, or maybe it's been around for a while, but I, I had only just heard of it. And, you know, we started using it, and and it was great. You know, at first it was like the connection was a little funny and with some people and whatnot, but, we you know, and then the, the GUI was a little weird. They've updated it and made it, you know, more user-friendly and stuff so it's and now funny enough now that i can meet people in person a lot of people now of course just want to sort of stay this way right where they're just where they're just wanting to review things on zoom and and audio movers or whatever people want to use whatever platform but doing it remotely has become kind of just i think people have now gotten quickly used to doing it that way and now that people are huddled up doing whatever it is they're doing in their homes or in their private spaces they're just sort of like staying there and I, so i you know i don't have a lot of foot traffic here now still even though you know we can meet in person you know mm. well i mean i'm sure it'll it's sort of a matter of time before things pick up again and you do get you know people coming coming through the door but yeah, i miss it man i miss <laughs> i miss i miss having people in here all day you know so everyone in their entourage just chilling in the studio <laughs> yeah it must be must be weird i mean this audio movers i've heard a lot about it actually jason it's been a it's yeah. been a pretty incredible collaboration tool throughout this period for for musicians and, and producers and, and engineers um working on projects together i've heard um yeah i've heard of lots of people talking about it so well that's the other thing too actually is musicians have had to you know step up and have you know doing it they have to do engineer work now and yeah and and that's been that's yeah that's been tough for them you know there's been there's been a lot of people who didn't even have like microphones and and interfaces and and pro tools like or whatever daw they need logic or something and they didn't even have that stuff you know and and like vintage king and other people were like you know chipping in to help out and get people up and running so that people could just you know make some money doing something i mean it was yeah. really okay. it was really wild you know it was like we we were forced into this situation and thinking we we're not prepared for this like a lot of people just weren't prepared to to go into full isolation uh 
because you can work in full isolation. You just, a lot, a lot of people have never had to do it. So <laughs> they, had yeah, to, exactly. they had to figure it out, you know? Yeah, of course, of course. Now, um, before we talk about some of the projects uh, you've been working on recently, Jason, um, yeah. to give us a little bit of an insight about into sort of how you started in music and audio, because you started out playing in bands, right? Um, yeah, with, yeah uh, exactly. I was reading earlier about your band, The Briggs. Um, yeah. But yeah, tell us a little bit about that. And, and when when was the first moment when <clears throat> you went from, from planning bands to actually producing and engineering? And, and when was the moment you sort of knew that you wanted to become a, a fully fledged producer and recording engineer? Um, <clears throat> well, you know, it, it was never really, it was not like a overnight thing for me at all. And, and, uh, you know, it, it's been, it was a long process in the beginning for me from having, you know, just bands where, you know, we had some early band where, you know, we just wanted to make a cassette so we could sell it at shows. And, and my, yeah. my dad had uh, a friend um, who owed him, uh, owed him some favors. So he, he led us into his, he had this great home studio in the back of his house. And, and at the time, of course, people didn't really have home studios this was like this was like a beautiful home studio and because you know to have a home studio in you know whenever that was early 90s um you know meant you had expensive tape machines and pro tools was you know in an infant state then and, and to have it cost a lot of money and that sort of thing so he had this great home studio actually that my my dad helped him build that was my my dad was a uh you know, carpenter by trade and, and construction and all that stuff. So he, he just found him. He just, he knew a lot of people and he was always working with people on their homes and on their studios. He built studios and stuff like that. So he had worked with this, this gentleman and, and he, you know, he had us in to record an EP and that was my first time kind of in a studio quote unquote with a band and i was just i mean it was super exciting it was like the first time i had like a you know a u87 in front of me and and i just was like wow this is so cool because it you know it sounded amazing i thought gosh this this stuff's if this is what it takes to make stuff sound good you know you have to have this this beautiful space and all this beautiful outboard gear and that was that was kind of like a really early seed for me that kind of was like okay this is this is a world that i don't know and i want to know more about and but we didn't have that luxury to to be in places like that very often and like i had mentioned you know the home studio in the in that day in the early 90s was not really easily affordable by people so i didn't you know we didn't have the money to do that and so we were so prolific with what we were doing we were writing music and making you know bands and going out and doing shows and stuff so we didn't have the resources so we you know i saved up some money and i bought some basic gear and we just Mm. built it in our house and uh my dad helped us put it together and when we you know we we literally punched a hole through the wall that my brother and i had an adjoining wall he had a room (laughs) and i had a room we punched a hole through it and we ran, that was what we ran the cable snake through and the talk back. And we started tracking our own drums and stuff like that in our bedrooms for, for our music. And that was what we started selling at shows. We just started, you know, making EPs and things like that on our own. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And that was when, um, eventually, um, side one dummy, this indie label here in LA, uh, heard, 
something that we had recorded at home and, and, and they saw us play live. And that was when we got signed eventually to side one dummy was through, you know, the stuff that we were recording at home. And I was sort of producing it because we didn't, okay. we didn't have any buddy to do that really, you know? So yeah. I had just sort of, you know, by necessity learned some of these things to, to be able to just facilitate getting a product because we didn't have yeah. any other means to do it at the time. Out so necessity, like it was just out of necessity. And, you know, I was, I was really, um, you know, I would listen to, you know, records and, and pick up on who was mixing them and engineering them. And I would find things, you know, that I could on the internet, which, you know, was hard to do at the time. There wasn't really a lot of resource. There was no Pensado's place. There was no anything like that. So to find any sort of resource on how to do these things was was pretty difficult. But, you know, I just did what I could. I Even just finding studio photos of, like, how people had mics angled in front of a kit and stuff like that, I would yeah, just yeah. I would just glean off whatever I could to to kind of put together some technology to to facil- facilitate it, and that was just kind of where a lot of that started, and that just grew and grew. Like I would, I met people in bands, we were playing shows, and those people found out I was recording stuff at home, and then it just kind of word got around, and we were then sort of recording other people, and then we had. Like for a very short period of time, my brother and I were in the distillers and we had the distillers over and we were recording demos there. And like just, it just was weird. Like just stuff, you know, it's growing up in Los Angeles, you end up rubbing shoulders with all kinds of people yeah, randomly, right. you know. Yeah. Um, so, and then eventually I found myself in the film world and I didn't know anything about the film world. I was just trying to get a gig in a studio, you know, and I, and I was having a really tough time with that because I didn't, I didn't go to Berkeley or full sale or something like that. So I didn't have anyone from those schools to recommend me as an intern or something like that for a studio. So I was just cold calling these people and kind of just getting dial tones basically. And, um, I had a friend who was leaving a position at a private studio and I went to, um, meet with the owner and uh and that was when i met uh mark isham and i didn't know anything about film music so i didn't realize how successful he was and i and i you know i went to his place and he had this gorgeous compound and this just beautifully built from the ground up uh recording complex and all this stuff and so i was just like wow this is amazing and uh it would be great to be able to somehow stay here even though i (laughs) i know i know i don't qualify to be here at all and um you know i just sort of hung around i i really just sort of showed up uh for a few days even though i wasn't he he didn't hire me he wanted to you know sort of audition a bunch of people and meet a bunch of people and interview a bunch of people and so i just kind of showed up every day kind of helping out and you know eventually he was just like wow you're you're awesome like you're just here all the time and you're doing a good job and uh seems like things are cool you should just stick around and and that was that was how i got my uh gig uh, first of all in interning for him but then eventually becoming his assistant was just by literally kind of just like hanging around and uh, <laughs> and yeah and just trying to be you know cool vibes you know and yeah. um and that was how i got my foot in the film door and then of course that just exploded because you know that was when that was in the late 90s and and um he was just finishing off blade 
and you know okay. his his career was just like exploding and he just had so much work and and needed a lot of help so i just got sort of like thrust right into it and um you know i i was really kind of taken on as like you know an intern at first but then quickly just kind of became the studio assistant and you know we yeah. even started mixing some things and we were working with like you know found myself working with mike simpson from the dust brothers and like all these guys and it was just like you know it just suddenly took off and then that was that and and I was touring too, so I would take off for a month, and we would go and tour and stuff like that. So juggling that was really, really difficult because um, yeah. you know the, the film world is so demanding. The hours are insane. There's never a day off, you know that sort of thing. So to <laughs> to leave and go on tour was just like unheard of. But I managed to sort of work that schedule for a while until it it became unmanageable, and I decided I want to go on tour full time for a while. So I did that, and then. Um, and then I got kind of burned out on the road and decided, actually, I want to stay at home and start, you know, concentrating on studio work. And then that kind of swung the other way. And I started coming back to just producing things and eventually started working with Mark again, but as a, as an, a freelance, uh, as an engineer. Yes. And yes, I, yes. yeah, I mixed, uh, I mixed a movie for him. Uh, I mixed a few, I mixed the crazies, mixed fame, and uh, a couple like you know cool little indie movies and stuff like that and then you know we just kind of hit it off um, in in sort of a new capacity for me and that was where we kind of started our our relationship uh, with me kind of up the ranks as an engineer and that was when you know I started meeting some other great people and doing things outside of of my relationship with Mark I started building these other relationships with other guys uh, it's just little things at first, really, like TV guys, some really great uh, composers like uh, Jeff Cardoni, who was doing Miami, uh, CSI Miami at the time, okay. and some little things like that. And that was just kind of where it all started to percolate and, and build up That's from cool. there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's immense, man. I mean, it's, it sounds like it's been quite the journey so far. It's been, um, a, it's been a really unique journey, for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, I, I even did live sound for a while too. Oh, okay, you know? okay. Yeah. So like front and of house was, or monitors? Or yeah, monitors fr or? some front of house stuff. I did both actually. I did I did monitors. I did front of house. I did. Um, I had a really good friend who was uh, managing at uh, the Knitting Factory in Los Angeles. Rest in okay. peace. And so he gave me a lot of gigs when I was not on tour, and uh, I got to do front of house there. Um, when I was when I was home, and then monitors and stuff like that. I even went on tour at one point doing some front of house stuff. So I had some experience doing that. It's honestly that's a whole other world that I yeah that that takes such a different being backbone. out on the road constantly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, as a front of house man, that's tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it sounds like you've done quite a lot of bits and pieces. Then you know you've had experience in a lot of different sort of areas of of audio, um, which is which is cool. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, I'm just looking at some of your credits here, man. Uh, on the fi on the film side, um, like we've been talking about, and you've you've pretty much worked with all the big movie studios, right? You know, recording and mixing music for. Um, yeah. Just looking at some of the recent ones: uh, Paddington, Bad Boys for Life, Aquaman, The Accountant, Godzilla, King of Monsters, Ma, um, Icarus, which was the awesome documentary, Oscar-winning documentary from 2018. Um, mm. 
some some really cool projects there man um have you sort of have you got to a point when you're sort of feeling the burnout again or or is it is it no, is it, are you on a nice roll now? yeah yeah no we're rolling now i mean i've got um i've got i actually have two two mix rooms going now so so i have really on any given day we've got you know two or three mixes up on the consoles and mm. okay, wow. you know the schedules are also partly what play into that it isn't just that you know um we're necessarily mixing quote unquote you know two things at once but uh yeah. but things things you know park and come back and so then schedules sometimes end up on top of each other when at first they weren't supposed to so Especially i, I yeah things. exactly exactly yeah. that kind of plays a big part into the schedule sort of needing to be shiftable and so my solution for that has been to build two rooms and so i have uh i have a duplicate rig of what my studio a setup is uh, okay. which is a single uh mac tower the, you know the new the new mac because um, yeah. i like to work in a single machine so i have single machine uh hdx3 um i have three octo cards and a quad card and basically every plug-in known to man in, in a 7-1 setup. And then I have that same exact setup in Studio B as well. So if I start something in here, it gets approved, I can send it to Studio B for printing and be able to continue on to the next mix. Uh, and so we can, get, we can get twice as much work done in here as, as a normal studio. That's cool. And what's the name of the studio that you work out of, Jason? Well, the the building is called Fab Factory, um, okay. and it's where, like, you've probably seen Into the Lair, uh, Pensado's place, and uh, Into the yeah. Lair with Dave Pensado. He does all those from here. Uh, he he had a room here, but he's been you know he's been at home since the pandemic, so he hasn't been here. But but Dave uh, was in this building, and and um, and then there was me, and and when the pandemic happened, we all kind of left and. I was actually the only one who ended up coming back of of everybody who had been here. So it's it's oh, right. okay. yeah, so originally it had four rooms but now Fab Factory has expanded into uh not only this building with four rooms but another building with another five rooms and okay. also a um a film uh Dolby certified uh Atmos mixing stage. So we have a, a full on, and it's not done yet, but it will be done in the next few months. A, uh, a ginormous uh, mixing stage for doing Atmos. Um, so it's a pretty big compound now, uh, which yeah. Yeah, which it it, which it wasn't uh, two years or three years ago when I moved in. But my rooms, I have affectionately called uh, La Rockefeller Center. Uh, <laughs> so that is Studio A and Studio B for me. Um, and they are inside uh, what is Fab Factory Studios. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, nice to have a, a bit of a base as well. Um, that's sort of out of your home that you can actually go to the office or the show. Well, yeah, it's well, it's really it's a really special place. I mean, it, he's this. There's really high security here. Uh, super high speed internets. The rooms are beautifully tuned. Um, mm-hmm. You know, nice. we all have access to not only my outboard gear and my mics, but uh, the studio's outboard gear and microphones as well. So, 
it's and it's all growing and it's it's really incredible so there's just there's a really yeah there's a pretty serious operation going on here and it's i kind of can't live without it now at this point i have you know i utilize i utilize all of these resources now on a daily basis and uh you know we can take set you know sessions from budapest or from london or wherever and download them you know within minutes basically download you know an entire score so uh all that kind of infrastructure for me is is kind of i've gotten used to it now so yeah uh it's cool yeah no it's really cool i could probably do it at home too but now it's just it's here (laughs) and so it's all set up already you know (laughs) yeah that's fair enough that's fair enough um now before we come on to a little bit more about your gear setup you've you know you've mentioned a little bit already um yeah uh give us a little bit of an insight into um the world of score mixing as it were um having done it for a few years because i know obviously not only do you engineer the scores you produce them as well um do a lot of sound design a lot of instrumentation like we've been saying um so have you got like a a particular process jason when it comes i mean it must vary depending on on what project you're working on depending on how many stems you've got you know how many how many different elements there are um but what do you have a particular process um uh, you know when you're getting started on a project but, but maybe tell us about some of the bigger projects you've worked on sure sure yeah i mean um we well like we did um we did uh morbius recently which hasn't come out yet it's coming out uh yes uh, i can't wait for that yeah and and that um that was a pretty exciting process. I mean, essentially what I'm doing usually is, is, is 5.1 or 7.1 mixing. So, which is, you know, surround sound, essentially basic surround sound beds, as we call it, uh, because in Atmos, you can go beyond that, obviously. But, um, we, so I start with a template that is, you know, a 5.1 or 7.1 template has tons of routing into it, uh, built into it that, that, gets me a good starting place but as you said yeah. all these projects are different they require uh different sonics uh from an eq perspective from a compression perspective and from reverb and mm-hmm. so um i start with one of these templates usually but it, it changes quite a bit as the pr- as the uh, project moves on but um in terms of that project specifically you know we record this was right in the middle of the pandemic so in september of last year we recorded it and um it was the first session uh at sony with the uh actually the first session they opened the doors back up to do basically um and so we had that kind of challenge obviously um Mm. sort of uh in in what we were already challenged to do which was produce all this music in a you know sort of fast amount of time we we also had to deal with that and uh but it actually went really well there was no there was no hiccups as far as that uh side of it it actually went really well um but it was it was a really cool process we had we had to record the strings separate from the brass not only for sonic reasons but because of covid we actually couldn't have brass players in the same room as the string players um actually because of those rules so and and not only that but the players themselves had to be six feet apart from each other so we had this massive room at sony which is like a hundred feet by 
you know, something close to that, uh, filling up the entire room with only 50 string players because they're so spread apart. So, uh, you know, and this was, this was the first session that happened in that room, uh, in, in that layout where we had people so spread apart that, you know, of course, none of us had, none of us knew whether or not it was going to sound good because nobody had done it yet. So, but it, it, it actually worked out really well. And it, and it, yeah, it, I think it lended itself. It may have contributed to the sound being, uh, I mean, it definitely contributed to the sound being what it was, which was, which I thought came out really good. You know, it was a really good sound. And with the brass, same thing. We had, we had to have them all pretty spread out. So we had, I think like 20 brass players, but we had to have them all six to 10 feet apart i can't remember i think with the brass players it's actually more and so they also filled up the entire room <laughs> just just having those 20 brass play in a room that big i mean we're talking you know like a warehouse size room um so you know then we record sometimes as many as you know seven to eight different passes of orchestra so that means i've got maybe 50 microphones maybe not quite that many but on say on average 50 microphones covering my orchestra and that's anything from spot mics that are closer to you know uh two or three players each to mid microphones which are up a little bit higher covering sections and then the overall microphones which are the tree above the conductor and the the outriggers which are way up high over the orchestra and, and that sort of thing that's just for one single pass of uh, the orchestra so if we record say the long strings um that's 50 microphones right there then we do some yeah. short strings and that's another 50 microphones then we do some effects strings that's another 50 microphones then so so already we're at 150 channels uh in pro tools for just three passes of orchestra <laughs> Uh, Madness. yeah. And so then, and then maybe we'll have, uh, another layer of effects. Uh, maybe we'll double the short strings on another session, uh, the second or third day, come back to it and build on it. So by the end of some of the, on some of the bigger cues at the end of the session, we had, you know, about 10 to sometimes 13 passes, or I don't even know really how many we had, but we had a lot. Uh, and that's just the orchestra. Now, on some of the music, we had like, you know, 150 tracks of stereo tracks of like synthesizers and stuff like that, and drums and various things. So, you know, some of these sessions got really, really big. And um, I build a lot of this stuff. I try and, and pre mix things, right? Where I take the synthesizer tracks and things like that and work on them and get the sounds going on them before we even record the orchestra so that I've got a lot of groundwork sure. done as far as like routing things, as far as getting cool sounds going, as far as getting my surrounds happening and sounding right. So I try and do as much of that work as possible so that when, once we've recorded the orchestra, we're kind of just, you know, we're just going for it and and just adding that layer as opposed to well now we have to figure out how to put 800 tracks together in a session we would never get it done so yeah. the mixing process sometimes is in layers too where we like weeks before we even record the orchestra i'm getting stuff from the composer and and i'm 
mixing in all of the synthesizers and and even some uh, soloists and home recorded stuff and getting that going before we've even recorded the orchestra and, and and doing like okay routing this and routing this for the orchestra when i know i'm going to just drop it in and now i have a place for it to go and so i'll set up eqs i'll set up reverbs i'll set up uh you know whatever routing i need to for anticipating what's going to go into it later from all the live recordings and stuff so there's a lot of planning a lot of stuff that that really once because once we're going we have very little time often to to worry about things like routing and stuff like that so it all needs to kind of yeah. be thought out well in advance so it's it's a yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a process of preparation and a lot of it is the preparation a lot of it <laughs> honestly yeah, you know so on a project yeah, like that we we were we were i was involved in that for yeah like I would want to say almost like two months, like from talking about it to figuring out how to do it all to the COVID details of how to work around that to getting it done. Uh, and, and so it's a, yeah. it's a lot of work is a lot involved in, in, in any score usually it's like, you know, no less than 60 minutes these days. So you're talking about at least an hour of music that has to get done in a matter of weeks usually. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know some of these projects can be uh, quite intense um, with the deadlines um, when you're trying to do. You know, you're spending so much time <laughs> well, on, on just like two minutes of, of music. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I was just saying that sometimes the the deadlines are what make it crazy because if 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 they say they want the movie out in in a month and you're just starting it, uh, you know that that what you know you need two months to do has to be condensed into a month's time because that's just when the thing needs to be released. So it, you know how much time it takes you to do certain things. Cause we, you know, I, I certainly know how much time it takes me to do a score because I've done enough of them. I know it's just generally going to take, you know, X amount of weeks. And so when I ha I know I have less than yes. that to do it, <laughs> I do just always just go, all right, this is going to be some long hours. This is going to be crazy. Cause there's no physical way to, to, you can't, you can't just simply work on it less, you know. It has to be the same amount of time. You just you just have to now condense it into less physical space. <laughs> yeah, and I imagine um, you've got a few little tips and tricks and tools at your disposal which do help streamline that whole process um, as, when it comes to the production part, obviously. Um, yeah, and I, and I know um, you've touched on uh, some of the some of the gear that you've got in your studio, and and you know you mentioned that you've got. Yeah every plug-in under the sun, um, which, you know, there is an infinite amount of them out there now, which is uh, yeah. quite mad. But um, one I particularly wanted to, to talk to you about, um, Jason, was uh, OX Sound. And uh, obviously the company's got two two plugins, Soothe and Spiff. Um, Soothe being probably the more widely used one, I would imagine. Um and I mean, yeah. I've, I've been talking to a lot of engineers and producers recently about, you know, how useful that is in their workflow and, and just how um, just how broad strokes, you know, you can use it across um, the, the vocal bass or the strings or, or whatever it might be. Um, but how, how familiar are you with with uh, with Soothe, Jason? Um, have you been using it for a while? Yeah, the 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 real thing, honestly, with with plugins and and why a plugin like soothe is actually really amazing is that 
it's sort of continuing the sort of point about uh, deadlines. You know, I have to grab, I, I like to go for yeah. plugins that are super immediate, right? Like a plugin that is really just within a click or two. It's, it's basically doing what's in my head. Because I have like, okay, I need that. I, I go through an immediate checklist in my, in my head when I first do a playback and I go, okay, I have basically like probably 250 moves I know I need to make. And the, I like those to go as quickly as possible because I don't have a lot of time to do it. So when I, when I hear a, a solo cello or I hear a vocal that is doing certain uh, things that I don't like, has certain nodes in it or, uh, uh, or particular honks in it or, you know, wolf tone or however you want to call it, um, I'll just pull up, you know, soothe usually and, and <clears throat> really just kind of like a lot of times I just point it to where I think the issue is and just turn up the depth. And that's basically what I need it to do. And that's the kind of plugin that I need in my process is like something that's super, super fast. And, um, and I, and I, I use it in various ways. Like, like I mentioned vocals and solo cello, that's probably where I use it a lot. I'm doing uh, a video game right now where <clears throat> there's a lot of acoustic solo acoustic instruments like uh, fiddles and nickel harpas and um, you know uh, just lots of really cool and and sort of sometimes nasally string instruments and I just have soothe unlike most of it like I'll I'll do some EQ to kind of do things that I know just need some actual serious carving or something like that. But soothe is, is, is a lot more musical of a solution. And so these instruments are dynamic and they are changing and they are not just always really loud. Like, like an electric guitar. Like if you have an electric metal guitar, that usually is fine to just EQ because it really doesn't change much level and intensity wise. It's just there all the time. But with a stringed instrument, it's changing a lot. And it's changing not only do the peaks of the instrument change depending on where it's being played in the instrument, but but also when it's played louder or quieter, that also changes it. So an instrument or a, a plug-in that's more dynamic to that uh that issue is, is is better serving than EQ is. So Soothe is kind of where that really just shines a lot for me i just go okay cool <laughs> this is this is exactly what this plugin really does great which is sort of dynamically uh help you know these problems that are usually innate in for me vocals and uh you know solo cellos and solo fiddles and you know uh nickel harpas and things like that where they just have like these weird you know nasally peaks and stuff like that yeah depending on how loud they're so that and you know and i use spiff a yeah. lot too a uh, spiff's incredible i i you know i get a lot of different quality drums from uh clients and sometimes they're good and sometimes they need a bit of help and i guess for me i i really like transients so when when i hear something come to me for mixing that's already pretty compressed i try and put a little bit more back into it uh and then maybe I'll I'll do something afterwards, but to to compress it again. But I actually like to hear those transients. I like to hear the attack of things, and I think if you shape it just right, 
you can get a, a, a more impactful sound. So, um, you know, and I use spiff a lot for that and not, not always just for percussion too. Cause sometimes it's cool on like mandolins or acoustic guitars or things like that, where you want to actually tone shape the, the transient on the instrument. Um, you know, like even just fully get rid of the attack, you know, and go the opposite way with it and actually just kind of turn it into something slightly different, more sound designy or something like that. Um, yeah. I love it for that too. So, the other thing that's really cool about both of those plugins is the oversampling and the ability to kind of, if you're hitting something pretty hard and, or things, or if you're trying to use it actually overall on like uh, a mix, uh, as like a mastering plugin, cause I've done it for that too, just on the whole mix and having the oversampling, uh, for when, you know, you're kind of going through it pretty, pretty hot. Um, that's also a nice feature. So, it's just kind of one of those plugins where it has a lot of bells and whistles, but they are not complicated and it's not hard to sort of get your head around yes. how to use it. Um, cause I'm not like a super techie nice. guru guy, you know, like I, I just know how I, th I want things to sound. So if a plugin can sort of like, you know, put its professor lab coat, you know, aside and just give me a freaking plugin that, I can use like I know these guys who design these things are genius. They don't need to like sit there and like show it to me on, in the GUI of a plugin. Like I just want to be able to turn a knob or two and and get the sound that's in my head very quickly. I don't want to have to read a manual. And yeah. those are those are just my favorite kinds of plugins. Like that's why I like uh you know like the Manly Massive Passive or something like that. Like it's just a it's very simple to use EQ, you know, that I use a lot on things because it's just a great sound. It doesn't take very long to get it to do that. So, you know, soothe for me yeah. is like kind of one of those, I probably at this point, I have a lot of plugins, but I'd only use really, um, probably like 20 to 30 plugins, like on almost everything. And then, and then I go to certain things when I want to kind of break away from it. But, I've narrowed it down to a limited amount because I, I just feel like there's certain ones that give me my, my results really, really quickly. And uh, anyway, yeah. that's, and th so that's, that's why I like it. Sorry, man. I was just going to say, uh, especially with, um, I'm just thinking about sort of situations where Soothe would also be really helpful, I suppose, when you're um, not so much recently, but during the pandemic when you would have been, um, you know, each instrument player or the, you know, whoever's doing the strings or brass would have been recording remotely in their own space mm -hmm. with their own mic, um, you know, in their mm -hmm. own acoustic environment. And I imagine when you were to get that back, you'd, you know, there'd be a lot of kind of harsh resonances in there that you'd have to, to notch out with Soothe, right? I suppose it'd be useful for, for that as well, obviously. Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, it's also kind of cool for using on reverb returns because uh, uh, yeah. like you're saying with the pandemic, when people are recording at home, I often have to put sort of room tones back in it, right? Like, so I'll use like Altiverb or something like, yeah. or yeah. Valhalla room or something like that to get a room ambient sort of back into the sound. But sometimes it, it, those also get these little sort of resonant peaks and stuff like that on the on the reverb return especially if i'm using a lot of it to kind of help build a, a room tone so it, it's also great for that too where you actually can kind of help tame some of those uh weird peaks um 
that happen in in sending that much information through a reverb as well so uh yeah no it's it's definitely helped a lot in 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 terms of the pandemic recording and, and getting things to you know it it does take a lot more work actually to get stuff that's recorded at home to sound like we've taken for granted things to sound like in a, in a recording studio when you've got 10 people in a room just recording with some great room mics you're done <laughs> But when you don't have that and you have to record everybody separately and then create that room afterward with plugins, um, it is challenging. And so with with something like Soothe and combination of other plugins, you can sort of get back to that. At least for me, I can get back to that pretty quickly now. So, uh, yeah, no, it's it helps markedly in, in that regard as well. Um, okay. It's, it, you know it's it's been i don't think you know i don't think anybody really had a plan for how to deal with a lot of the home recordings you know cuz we've we've had little bits of home recordings before but certainly when we had the choice we would always record something in a studio and i think that's something i definitely feel uh is is one of the biggest challenges is is the mix of those things because mixing that mm-hmm. stuff was so much easier when it was just done in a room because a lot of the job is done for you and yes. uh and so i think the mix has become probably the most challenging part because so i think these players probably don't mind not having to leave their house and, and record at home so i think from a recording perspective it's actually a lot easier you know because they yeah. could just record yeah. at home and 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 do like three or four or five sessions in a day probably you know because they don't have to go anywhere but then when it comes to us to mix there's there's a lot more challenge than in the past because all that work that went into recording in a nice room helped the mix go a lot faster so yeah no we definitely you know having having the right tools now to to help compensate for those issues that we now have in getting the mix to sound right because a lot of the time when i'm mixing acoustic instruments you're really just trying to get it to sound like it sounds like it's in a believable space and to have to do that from scratch and actually build all that is actually harder than it sounds because plugins don't necessarily do it uh really well and very easily it takes a little bit of massaging so having something like soothe and altiverb and like some of those plugins where at least for me i've got chains set up where now those sounds are pretty easy to get, you know, but it took a minute to sort of dial it in, you know. Yeah, I I mean, it does seem like there's a bit of a, a shift maybe going on in the dynamic in terms of the process, you know, the recording and the mixing process, um, maybe for the better, hopefully for the better. I mean, it's um, like you say, you've got these tools at your disposal now um, to, to help speed things up, but um, it's definitely had a massive knock on the pandemic, hasn't it? And in terms of how people prefer to work, yeah um well we we just we just finished up um a show that just came out uh the nevers uh which came out on hbo um and is and is uh apparently doing doing really well that that was um that was a lot of fun we have uh a big video game coming up but i'm not allowed to say what it is yet but uh but we are working on video game that's that's uh pretty exciting uh morbius which i mentioned earlier that's coming out in january um 
and uh, I did. There, there was a, a really fun project that um, that I did recently that's coming out, I think, in June, which is the uh, the um, animated uh, Batman film uh, for uh, the Long Halloween, and uh, that's a part one and part two uh, release that I think is uh, a digital release. And, um, well, I guess everything's kind of digital at the moment, okay, but, cool. but, uh, but that's another sort of fun uh, yeah. one that was pretty exciting to work on, on the Batman series. And, um, gosh, what else is coming nice out? Man. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of TV shows too. Um, Godfather of Harlem, I think is, or actually that just came out, a uh, bunch of music from Swiss beats and Mark Isham for that one, which is pretty exciting. Uh, Forrest Whitaker is the actor on that show. Um, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, Wes, what else do we have? We've got... You got any immersive projects, uh, in the pipeline, Jason? I know you mentioned you've got the mix stage, the Atmos mix stage there at the studio now. Is there anything you're doing? Yeah, there is actually. Um, there's, there's, uh, another game that wants to, uh, do an immersive mix, uh, for the soundtrack, uh, sadly, again, not one I'm allowed to mention, but, but it's pretty exciting actually, because we will mix, I think in stereo probably for the game itself, but then, uh, do, do an immersive Atmos mix for the soundtrack. Uh, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's going to wow. be really exciting. So, um, I'm really kind of looking forward to doing more of that, to be honest with you, some more yeah. immersive mixing and, and, and soundtrack releases like that. I think that's going to be, be a lot, a lot of fun to get into. Yeah, definitely, um, man. It's a very exciting, yeah. um, kind of development on the technology side, the immersive stuff and, and where that's well, going. Mean, yeah. The end yeah. user seems to be into it. You know, it seems like, like okay. people yeah. want, people want the Atmos thing. And I just heard, uh, yesterday, right, that uh, iTunes is releasing uh, Atmos is just part of of right. their subscriptions, right? So you have access now to the whole catalog of, of Atmos mixes for this these releases. I mean, it's it's super cool, you know. I I, I think that's great, you know. Just just more more work for us, I guess. That's great. <laughs> Not complaining about it. Can only that. be a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, that's great, man. Um, Jason, it's been so great chatting to you today, man. It's been a it's been a real pleasure, and uh, I appreciate your time. It's been great. Great, man. Thanks, Colby. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's all good. Um, yeah, all the best with all the projects you've got going on at the moment, mate. And uh, take care, and hopefully we'll catch up soon. Sounds great. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Cheers. See you. Bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.